Welcome to the River Fellowship Podcast. At River Fellowship, we desire to experience God, exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage the world. This week, Lead Pastor Daryl Anderson continues his series titled Checkbox with part five, Check Spiritual Receptivity. How receptive are you to the Word of God, the voice of God, the work of God, and the Spirit of God? James gives insight into how we can increase our spiritual receptivity. If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org. Well, we're in James chapter 1. We're continuing this series uh, that's dealing with practically living out our Christian life. And James is really talking to believers, really, in this book. Those that were dispersed, those that have given their life to Christ. And he's given some very practical information and application for us as believers to live out our faith. And so we've been going through these different qualities and characteristics uh, to check the box, to indicate either we have that quality or we recognize that we want or we need that quality. So far, we've talked about joy and wisdom and faith and life. This morning, I want to deal with the topic of spiritual receptivity. Spiritual receptivity. In other words, being receptive to the voice of God. Being receptive to the work of God. Being receptive to the word of God. Being receptive to the call of God on you. Being receptive to the spirit of God and what the spirit wants to do with you. What's our spiritual receptivity? So let's see what James says. James 1, beginning in verse 19. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror, and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. We're going to use our foundation passage, verse 21. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth, the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. And from that verse, I really want to camp out and springboard off of one phrase in that verse, and it's the phrase, humbly accept the word planted in you. Remember, he's talking to believers, talking about practically living out our Christian life. So when we talk about being spiritually receptive, in this context, it hinges around this concept to humbly accept the word planted in you. Now, this word, word, in this passage is the word logos, which means communication. And that communication can be written or it can be spoken. One question to ask is, what's the word that James is talking about? Who is the word? What is the word? Some might say, well, he's talking about Jesus. Because in John, we know that the, the word was with God, the word was God. 
the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So he's talking about Jesus. I don't think James is really talking about Jesus here specifically because the word's not capitalized. I think he's referring more to the, the teaching and the input of the word that, that, that we receive. In other words, it's probably indicating um, the, the elders and the teachers, the pastor's teachers that have been pouring in them and preaching the word in their variety of services. Uh, probably the apostles' teaching, which we know from Acts, they were dedicated to the apostles' teaching. It could come from letters, uh, some that we have that, that were circulated among the churches at that time. It could come from the prophetic words that were be, being given at that time uh, to spread the word of God. But in, in essence, what he's talking about is the word of God, God's word, whether God's word written to us, God's word spoken to us. So when he refers to the word, he's talking about the word of God. So for us in application, he's talking, I think, primarily maybe three areas, the, the canonized word of God, what we call the scripture. He's talking about the word. He's also talking about the gospel story that we understand that we're saved through Jesus Christ and the whole story that the word's about have given us the information and the insight of salvation through Christ. I think he's also talking about the spirit of God and the fact that the spirit of God still speaks to us, God's word in us, never contradicting the written word of God, always coming alongside the written word of God. But it's this essence of, of God's word. He says, humbly accept the word planted in you. Now, this word planted, uh, this is the only time this word is used in Scripture. It means to be implanted or engrafted. And it was curious to me why he didn't use a very common word in Scripture for planted, which literally means to, to sow seed. Typically, the word in, in New Testament is sowing seed. This is a totally different word used one time. It means to be implanted or engrafted. And I'm not real sure why he chose a different word, except it may mean he's talking about something that's much more deliberate, something that's much more secure, something that's much more deliberate and permanent action. In other words, that the Spirit of God has actually implanted things in us. That's what he's talking about here. The idea is that the word is implanted, and once it's implanted, it then is allowed to grow and flourish and bloom and bear fruit. That's the concept that he's talking about. But what he says here, the only way that this implanted word can produce the fruit it's intended to produce is if we humbly accept it. Now, the word accept means to receive or welcome. And it really places value on it. In other words, if I value something, I will accept it. I will receive it. If I, if I welcome someone into my home, I value that person. And I've, because I value that person, you're, you're welcome. I accept you into my home. If someone were to give me a $20, a counterfeit $20 bill, I would not accept that. If I knew it was counterfeit, I wouldn't accept it. You know why? I don't want to go to jail, number one. But number two, it has no value. There's no monetary value to that counterfeit bill, so I'm not going to accept it. The idea here is when we value the word of God, then we are willing to accept it into our life. The more we value the word, the more we want to receive that and have it implanted. If I don't value the word, then I, I reject it. But it says we're to accept it humbly, which simply means I recognize I have a need. So if I could kind of rephrase and restate this passage, this, this phrase, it would be this. When we recognize that we need the word and because we value the word, we then will begin to apply the word 
and it will bear fruit as it was intended. That's really what he's trying to communicate here. So one of the big questions that I ask myself is why should I accept the word of God? What's so good about the word of God? What's so important about God's written word or his spoken word to me? What, what makes that word so valuable that I would want to receive it and accept it? Well, we don't have time to deal with that this morning. That's a whole different message. But I do just want to refer you to Psalm 119 because in, one, in Psalm 119, it's the longest chapter in the book, of, of the, in the Bible. It's all about the word. It's all about the importance and the value of the word and what the word does. So let me just very quickly just go through some different values of what the word does for us. The word purifies us. Verse nine says, how can I keep myself pure? By living according to your word. Verse 11, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So the word of God helps purify us and keep that sin and that which will stain us out. The word strengthens us. Verse 28, my soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. In other words, those days when I'm in pain and I'm in distress and I'm depressed and I feel like I just cannot continue to go on. I don't have the strength. It's the word that strengthens me in those days. The word directs. Verse 105, your word is a light unto my path and a lamp unto my feet. It illuminates my direction and allows me to know which direction to go. The word protects me. Verse 114, you are my refuge and my shield because I have put my hope in your word. The word of God protects me just like a shield protects a soldier. The word empowers, verse 133, direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. It's the word of God in me that allows me to rule over sin instead of sin rule over me. And I can't continue with all this, but if you continue in, in Psalm 119, you'll see that the word gives hope. It gives peace. It gives wisdom. It gives assurance. It gives comfort. It gives life. In other words, the word of God does in us what nothing else can do in us. Hebrews 4.12 says the word is living and active. It's not something dead. It's not something that's historical. The word of God, written or spoken through the spirit in us, is alive and active, and it will do in us what nothing else can do in us. The word of God will change us like nothing else can change us. It grounds us and it stabilizes us like nothing else can do. But we must be willing to accept it. This is where we come back now to spiritual receptivity. I have to be willing to receive the work of God, the word of God, the spirit of God, and the voice of God. So let me finish out and kind of camp out with the practical application. I want to share three keys of spiritual receptivity. Three keys that indicate if we are humbly accepting the word of God. These are three keys that will both expose and express our spiritual receptivity, how receptive we are to the things of God. Really, these keys are the way that I stay receptive to the word, which then allows the word to do in me and through me what the word wants to do. So here's the first key to spiritual receptivity. That's to acknowledge the word. We have to acknowledge the word. It comes from this phrase, the word. When it says humbly accept the word, it says the word, not a word. We're not talking about just 
any word. We're talking about the word. And inherent in this, in this phrase is that we're talking about the word of God. We're not talking about fables. We're not talking about fairy tales. We're not talking about history books. We're not talking about just something that has some really good, good stories in it. We're talking about the literal word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is God-breathed. Which simply means it's inspired by God. It's actually God's words. It's not man's words. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says that we thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God. So it's this dynamic of acknowledging that it literally is the word of God. Here's the number one key. This is the foundational key. That is, we have to understand and know that this really is the word of God. Because if it's the word of God and we understand it's the word of God, then we place high value on it. Because it's God's word, now it has great value to me, and so I'm going to receive it and welcome it. If I don't value it as God's word, then I'm going to reject it. It's going to have no meaning and no purpose for my life. So everything that we're talking about right now in spiritual receptivity, it all falls apart if we don't understand and believe that it's God's word. Now, Unfortunately, our world globally in general does not receive this as God's word. In our nation, in our culture, predominantly, they don't receive this as God's word. Many people think it's completely irrelevant. It's not God's word at all. It's just some writings from some, some people. There are others that don't recognize it necessarily as God's word, but they'll at least recognize it as having some some, some good truths, some good principles, some good practices. There's some good insight in here that I can kind of build my life on that, that might help me have a, a better life. There are others that say, you know what, I think part of this is God's word, but part of it's not God's word. It contains God's word, but it also contains some other stuff. So this part I'm going to, to see and value as God's word, but this part I'm gonna reject as not part of God's word. Unfortunately, they, all of those beliefs and thoughts devalue the word of God as the word of God, and that decreases our spiritual receptivity. If I don't truly believe and understand that it really is God's word, and we don't have time to go through of how we can know that for sure, but if I don't understand and believe that it's truly God's word, then I'm going to be hesitant to accept it. I'm going to devalue it, and it's not going to have the impact that it wants to have in our life. That leads to the second key, and that is to agree to take in the word. Once we acknowledge it as God's word, that spurs me to agree to take it in as God's word. It comes from this phrase, to humbly accept. Really what that means is as we take it in, we're going to let it germinate. We're going to let it take root, let it grow. We're going to begin to let it work for us and work in us. We're going to let it produce the kind of fruit and beauty and life that it's intended to produce in us. I like our backyard that we currently have at our current house. It's, it's got two big trees in it uh, that are pretty trees, but they kind of shade the entire backyard. We've got a little bit of landscaping that you know, adds some beauty to it. But we have a lot of green grass. It's fescue grass. It stays green. It stays green almost, almost year-round. Not the same grass. We have 
five or six different kinds of fescue, so it's kind of, you know, it's, it's multicolored green, if you will. But it's, but it's still green and it's plush and, and we like it, except for a few bare places. And several years ago, there were, I don't know, seven or eight bare places. So a few years ago, we've got a little service that comes and sprays our yard, you know, a couple times a year. So this one time I was actually there and watched him. He went to the backyard after he got through spraying all that stuff. He came back to the backyard and he started throwing seed all in this, all the, in the dry, hard places on the ground. Well, the first thing I thought is, I'm not paying for that. <laughs> I didn't ask him to do that. What's he doing? And then I thought, what kind of grass is he throwing on there? He's throwing Bermuda. You know, anyway, he got through, he came back and we started talking and he said, hey, just want you to know that uh, I noticed these dry, bare places. So I had some grass in the truck. I just decided I just free of charge, no cost. I just thought I'd throw that there and kind of help your grass. I said, so you're going to want to water it. Well, the only problem is he did no prep work whatsoever. It's just hard, dry, dirt ground. Well, so, okay, I'll water it. Two weeks, four weeks, six weeks, a couple of months later, not one blade of grass came up. Now, we had about five billion birds in our backyard. I thought it was an Alfred Hitchcock movie, that birds. I'm expecting them to come through the vents, you know, and start attacking. Part of this dirt spot is where our water comes kind of off the roof, and so it hits this spot, and it's, you know, it's, it's just dirt. So but between being washed away, blown away, carried away, eaten, not one blade of grass grew in any of those bare spots. Well, the next year I decided, okay, let's see if we can do this the right way and take care of this and get some grass put in. So we went and bought some grass, came back, but before I spread it, I did some prep work. Got out the shovel and the hose and did all the stuff and got it all cut up and all loosened up and dug up, put the seed in there and then got the rake, covered up, did all that stuff and did a really nice job, watered it. Sure enough, four, five, six weeks later, here comes all this grass in all these areas, nice new fescue grass, except two big areas. And there's still two big areas that would not take grass. Those two areas, for some reason, are completely non-receptive to grass growth. <laughs> Just hard dirt. And if we're honest, there are times in our life when we are completely non-receptive to word in us. We're just like that hard ground. For whatever reason, whatever's happened in the past, whatever the reason is, we've come to the place where we are just as dry, just as hard, and just as resistant to the word as that ground was to the grass. We don't want to be like that. We want to be the ground that's receptive to the word of God in us, to the voice of God in us, to the spirit of God speaking in us. So how do we maintain this condition of being receptive to take the word in? Well, there's two things that we have to be willing to do. We have to be willing to do these ongoing. This is not just one day. This is, this is just a daily practice in our life. Here's the first thing. We have to be willing to remove some things. Verse 21 says, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. This phrase moral filth is another word that's only used here in James. No other place in scripture. It has two ideas. 
One is to, to make dirty, to be dirty, filthy. It'd be like if you have a, a beautiful plant that's, that's bloomed, but then you just throw mud and grease and gook all over and you can't see any of the beauty. The other idea is to defile it. And it would be like, again, if you have a plant where you have insects or bugs that would become to eat on it or some type of, of plant illness, that, a disease that, that eats away at it. That's what this word's talking about. That stuff in us that just that makes us dirty, filthy, re replaces and covers up the beauty that God's intended for our life or begins to define us. That's what he's talking about here. We've got to be, be willing to remove some things. There's a parable in Matthew 13. Some people refer to it as the parable of the weeds. But in the parable, you have one guy that comes out and he's, he's just throwing seed and he's throwing good seed. But then another guy comes along behind him and he starts throwing bad seed. I'm, I'm gonna call it weed seed. So you got one guy throwing some really good seed. Then you have another guy coming here and he's throwing weed seed. What's well, on this field? So now you've got good seed and weed seed on the field. Well, pretty soon stuff starts to grow and you have the good crop and then you have the weed crop. So some of this ground accepted and was responsive to the good seed but some of the ground was responsive and receptive to the weed seed. And the same is true with us spiritually because God, through his word, is throwing out good seed for us. But Satan's coming right behind him and he's throwing out a lot of weed seed right behind us. And oftentimes, for whatever reason, our state of life, where we are spiritually, we begin to receive the weed seed. And the weed seed begins to be implanted and engrafted in us. It begins to defile us into what he's talking about in verse 21. So we have to be willing to remove the weed seed. And spiritual receptivity says, that the higher the spiritual receptivity, that enables me to, to know the difference between good seed and weed seed. So that when both are sown I reject the weed seed and I receive the good seed. And spiritual receptivity gives me a greater desire to long for and want the good seed rather than longing for the weed seed. So I had to be willing to remove some things, but secondly, I had to be willing to receive some things. Again, here in verse 21, it says, humbly accept the word. That means all of the word. We talked about acknowledging the word. The basic understanding is we understand that, that all of this is God's word. We can't reject any of that word. The, the problem is some of God's word is very difficult to hear. It's very difficult to believe because some of God's word clashes with the culture's word. Some of God's word clashes with our fleshly word and man's word. And so there's some things, if we're really honest, in God's word that we don't really wanna hear. We would just as soon not ever have to deal with that stuff because it's not stuff that we want to hear. It may be stuff we need to hear, but it's not stuff we want to hear. So it's very easy and human tendency to begin to say, I don't wanna hear that. I only wanna hear what I wanna hear. So we begin to accept what we want to hear, but we begin to reject and won't receive things that we don't want to hear. 2 Timothy 4.3 says it this way. The time will come 
when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. In other words, if we're not careful, our spiritual receptivity can shrink so much that the only thing I'm going to listen to is what I want to hear. And if you're saying something I don't want to hear, I don't care if it's God's word. If I don't want, I'm going to close it in. I'm just going to gather people around me that will speak things that I want to hear. To really allow the word to, to do in us what it wants to do in us and produce fruit, we have to be willing to hear even those things that we don't want to hear, but we know we need to hear. Now, if you, if you put this in life, it's very dangerous for all of us to only hear what we want to hear. It's that way in athletics, coaching, in business, in academics, in every area of life. If I'm only willing to hear what I want to hear and not what I need to hear, that's disastrous in any area of life. But it's more disastrous, spiritually speaking, because there are many things in Scripture that we may not want to hear, but we need to hear because that's part of what the refining process does in God's word. So first, we've got to acknowledge the word as the word. Second, we have to agree to take in the word and let it germinate and produce in us what it wants to produce. All that leads to this third key, and that's to act on the word. Once we acknowledge it and we agree to receive it, that has to birth into action where we act on that word. Verse 22 says, do what the word says. Don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. Accepting the word is evidenced by our willingness to actually do the word. And our spiritual receptivity is exposed and expressed through our willingness to do what we hear. He, he follows that statement with an illustration an analogy. And to be honest with you, I've always thought this was a weird illustration. I'd never have gotten it. It was, it, it, I'd never, I never really understood how it connects. It never really, it never really jumped out of saying, oh, I get it because it seems so crazy. It seems so unfathomable to me. He uses this concept of a mirror and he says, this is like somebody looking into a mirror. And when he turns away from looking at the mirror, immediately he forgets what he looks like. He doesn't know what color his eyes are or how big his nose is or how long his hair is, what color his skin. He has no idea what he looks like. That seems absurd to me. That seems crazy to me. It's unfathomable that you could forget what you look like that quick. And then it dawned on me. That's James' point. <laughs> That's exactly what he's trying to say. It is crazy, but what's more crazy is that I can expect to just hear the word and never do it. That's just as unfathomable. That is the point. That's why he says in verse 22, don't deceive yourselves. Don't deceive yourself into thinking that hearing the word is the end that our only obligation is to receive the word and listen. In other words, the only obligation we have is to come on a Sunday morning and gather and hear some teaching. And then we walk out that door, we don't do a thing, we don't act on a thing, we can't even remember what was said. 
or we go into a Bible study and we study the word together and then we walk out of that Bible study and we don't do anything about it. It doesn't change us at all. We just forget what we even dealt with. That's just as crazy. That's his analogy. So he says, don't deceive yourself. The whole point is that the word's implanted in us so that it bursts, it germinates, it takes root and it begins to blossom and and bring forth fruit where we begin to act out the word and do what the word says. Now that may, that may deal with our own personal life of what our life looks like. It may be going out and engaging the word, which we'll talk about later in this series, but we act on the word that we hear. And here's the bottom line. Here's the punchline. And here's the great news in verse 25. He says, the person that will go through this system and will get to the point where you are actually acting out the word, that's the person that's blessed. That's the person that experiences the blessing of God and the hand of God and the favor of God. That's the person that begins to enjoy the fruit of what all this is about. Remember, the word comforts and strengthens and empowers. It gives peace and hope and life and joy. All this stuff, the value of the word, as we begin to do the word and let that word bring forth action and change, that's the person who begins to experience the blessing of God. And I don't know about you, but I'm all for experiencing the blessing of God. So, since James is Christianity with tennis shoes, let me just say, check your tennis shoes before you leave. Be sure you have them on. And check these three keys. How are you in acknowledging the word that it really is the word of God? How much do you value the word of God? Are you bringing it in? Are you receiving it? Are you rejecting bad seed and only hanging on to the good seed? And are you acting on the word? My prayer for myself and for each of us individually is that we would have a high spiritual receptivity. And my prayer for us as a church, as a corporate body, is that we would have a high spiritual receptivity, that we would be so receptive to the word of God, to the voice of God, to the spirit of God, to the work of God, to the will of God, that we just blossom forth and God unleashes his power and his blessing and his work upon us, for us, and through us. Would you bow with me? I just want to give you just a moment to to meditate on this. Just ask the Father what part of this message you needed to hear and need to apply that you'd have a spirit willing to receive that word. Father, we thank you that you've given us your written word. And Father, we thank you that you still speak your word into us through your spirit. And Father, we thank you for the power and the impact and the life change 
that it brings. So Father, give us a heart, an increasing desire for it, a higher value of it. Father, we want to be a people that will take it into the world and live it out so that it makes a difference to be with us as we continue to worship you and focus on your gift of Jesus. In his name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We truly hope that you are blessed and encouraged. If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org.